One of the reasons that health inequality affects uh, productivity is uh, if people are sick uh, and not healthy, they're not going to be very productive. And uh, actually, there's been a lot of research done, particularly in emerging markets and developing countries. Uh, the World Development Report uh, about 20 years ago focused on the relationship between health and economic growth. And the evidence was overwhelming. In fact, uh, they argued perhaps more, there's a lot of correlation between other various variables, but they argued that the, one of the most important determinants of uh, success was, was access to health. Uh, so, uh, and, and you can see it um, in, in a number of ways uh, uh, that uh, if, uh, you know, get, if people don't, uh, uh, aren't healthy, uh, they're going to be sick a lot, uh, they're going to have absenteeism, uh, they're, they're not going to be able to work as hard. Um, one aspect that uh, goes, in a, uh, that's related to this, is that there are a number of st recent studies that have focused on uh, the ability of poor people to uh, focus on long-run problems. Because when you're trying to survive, you focus on short-run issues. And part of survival is if you're sick, you're focusing on, 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 your, on, on your illness. And it's really quite, some experimental evidence, it's really quite striking. You, you send a, a poor person into the grocery store and, uh, with a list of things to buy, and after he comes out, you ask him what different things cost, and he can remember everything. You send a rich person in, you ask him to buy, can't remember a thing. One of the implications of that, they're using a lot of their cognitive capacities just to get by and they have less left over for other problems. So, um, as I say, I, I, I think the evidence is, is fairly, fairly compelling. There's something else that's, that's uh, interesting, though, about this that, that uh, I, you may know that even rich Americans are not as healthy as uh, much poorer people in the UK. And one of the people don't quite understand. It's certainly not your weather. Um, <laughs> so, so you know what what is what is causing uh, the differences uh, in this uh, in this health outcomes? Because the reason why they focus on the on, on on the rich is that it's not access to health care. And one of the hypotheses is that in a world with a lot of inequality, there's a lot of stress because. If you fall down in that ladder, there's a long way to fall. And so everybody's just concerned with making sure that they don't become part of the bottom 80%. And being part of the 20% and worried about becoming, of your children or you falling down to become part of the bottom, bottom 80% is stressful and that affects health. And that also affects, in some ways, kind of aspects of economic perform, performance. Uh, in terms of countries that have, uh, have done better, I, I think that evidence is pretty, pretty compelling that uh, the Scandinavian countries as a whole do uh, much better. Uh, 
Uh, one of the, th the slides that, if you are able to, were able to see it uh, instantaneously as I flipped through them, uh, <laughs> was that uh, the way we measure economic performance uh, is not very good. Uh, that GDP, I, I, I chaired an international commission on the measurement of economic performance and social progress, and GDP, GDP is not a, a, a good measure. It doesn't reflect sustainability, it doesn't reflect how the benefits of growth are distributed, uh, it doesn't affect well-being in any fundamental sense. Uh, Robert Kennedy once said that, that GDP measures everything except what's important. Uh, uh, there are other metrics, like uh, the UNDP has an HDI measure, uh, an inequality-adjusted HDI measure, and the United States ranks around 20th in that, much poorer than, the, uh, Scandinavian, than, than all the Scandinavian uh, countries. Um, but there are a lot of other measures that show very, very clearly that, that the Scandinavian countries uh, have done better. The question is, what, what is it uh, that they've done that, that uh, is so successful? Part of it is they have created more equal societies, uh, both through progressive taxation, good education systems, with, uh, when I, with access to all. If you look at uh, economic opportunity, uh, Denmark, is a, 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 a statistics are just uh, orders of magnitude better than the United States. Uh, and I, I mentioned Denmark because you might say Norway, yes, you expect, if you have the good luck of, of getting a lot of oil uh, and you have no people, uh, you become uh, 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 very well off. But, uh, you know, uh, UK had a lot of oil and rather than investing that oil, to uh, create a stronger uh, economic base, uh, you decided to specialize in having a stronger financial sector. You know, and uh, at a very time where you should have been investing in uh, creating a, a stronger endowment for the future, you were privatizing. Uh, and uh, I think that's, you know, you, you weren't the worst, but it was certainly uh, not the way I would have managed uh, your economy. Um, but the, the, there, are, there are other aspects of the Scandinavian model, I think, that, that uh, are, are, are no, no, noteworthy. Uh, one of them is uh, that providing strong social insurance Go back to one of the things I mentioned before. Providing strong social insurance means that people uh, can take under greater risks because if they they fail, there's a, a better safety net, so people can can do things experimentally and, and undertake more risk taking. Uh, there's an argument that uh, several economists in, in Norway put forward that wage compression, i.e., raising the wages at the at the bottom relative to the top encourages faster obsolescence of capital goods and creates a more dynamic, innovative uh, capital structure. Uh, they've been very explicit in a broad range of investing in people. Uh, I was with the uh, Prime Minister of, of Norway uh, last summer and she was arguing, and I, I, don't, I don't know how, how strong the evidence is, but the point 
uh, still an interesting one. Uh, she was arguing that today, because uh, Norway invested in uh, programs to get women into the labor force, uh, programs that you know of, of uh, that that allow for women to keep a job and have a family, and, and uh, they get a higher return from their incremental consequences having women active in the labor force than they do from their oil. So that by reinvesting in people, they have done better, they get more money today than, they're do, than they do from their oil. And as I say, whether the numbers are exactly right, the spirit is right. And I think uh, um, they're absolutely uh, right. So, so th those are examples. At the other uh, uh, um, country, at the, you know, in the emerging markets, uh, the Latin American, several Latin American countries are among the countries that have succeeded in reducing inequality from admittedly a very high base. But these were countries that looked over the precipice and they said, where are we going? And they said, we don't want to go there. And there was a consensus between the left and the right that they needed to do something about the extremes of inequality. And they started, say, in, 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 in Brazil, uh, with Cardoza, they invested a lot in education. With Lula, they invested a lot in children and, and uh, a whole set of programs to uh, uh, make sure that no child went hungry, every child would have vaccinations. And it, it, in a span of 20 years, it's showing up uh, in, their, in the data. I wonder if you might then just a brief word on does global inequality Yeah, that's what it's coming to. Okay. Uh, uh, so global inequality. Uh, that's a really interesting question. There's so many aspects of that. One of the aspects is, uh, you know, there's some people who say, let's take away the identifier on people of which country they came, come from. Has there been a reduction in overall uh, global inequality? And actually, uh, the, the answer is hard to tell because the shape of the distribution is very peculiar. It's a, it's a bimodal distribution. What we've done, great success, uh, is reduce poverty. In fact, in the new revised PPP, Purchasing Power Parity number, we've almost uh, eliminated extreme inequality. The major contributor to that was China, uh, that have moved hundreds of millions of people uh, out, of, out of poverty. Uh, I think, though, that, that the other part of the question is, what role has globalization played in increasing inequality, especially within the advanced countries? And that's been uh, a very contentious uh, issue. In the 90s, the general perspective was that it played a role, but a very limited role. The usual number that people used, again, I wouldn't put a, you know, a lot of stock in the number, was about 20% of the increase in inequality had to do with, with, with trade and globalization. In the last 10 years, uh, the evidence suggests that globalization has played a, much, a, a more important role. Economic theory was pretty strong about this in a very disturbing way. Uh, those of you economists know one of the, one of the uh, 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 most interesting theorems in economics, trade theory, is the, called the factor price equalization <laughs> theorem. And it basically says, you know, 
if you had a fully integrated global economy, which it would mean that unskilled workers everywhere in the world would get the same wage. And that means unskilled workers in the United States and the UK would get the same wage as unskilled workers in India and China. And that's a pretty depressing thought for unskilled workers in the United States and, and uh, Europe. Uh, fortunately, uh, the model isn't quite right. Uh, or it, it may be right, but it happens slowly. There are lots of assumptions that go into any model like that, and, and I can't go, go into that. But uh, there is some evidence, you know, we're not, you know, the, the, that, that model assumes that trade is very, you know, works very perfectly. But uh, there is uh, some evidence that, we're, that there is a tendency in that direction. And so some interesting empirical work in the United States has looked at what happens to unemployment and wages uh, by district by district, you know, small units in the United States. And what you see is that those areas where there are, has been a significant increase of imports from, in particular imports from China, uh, those areas have more unemployment and uh, more adverse effects on wages. So uh, that's part of the current politics about uh, trade and globalization. Thank you so much. I'd like to call on the Vice Chancellor to uh, thank our speaker and close this lecture. It's my uh, pleasant duty to express thanks. And, and let me begin again by thanking the Fulbright Commission, by thanking the Embassy of the United States of America, thanking Pembroke College and particularly the Lewis Roth Endowment and also colleagues at the university for their support of this Fulbright lecture today. Let me also thank Professor Nairi Woods for both introducing our speaker and for chairing the Q&A, but the biggest vote of thanks of all go to Professor Joe Stiglitz He's given us a challenging, a provocative, and a sobering lecture this evening. Joe, we thank you enormously. Ladies and gentlemen, would you join in me? And thank you. Very good. Very good.